please turn with me to Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3 verse 8 is our sermon text for today. Aaron already read the context for us. Our sermon text has one very clear point. Christians, we are to devote ourselves to good works. Now, even though it wasn't planned this way, I think that a sermon on good works is particularly appropriate on the Sunday before Labor Day, don't you? Nailed that one. Tomorrow's Labor Day. Today we're talking about good works, good labors. Well, the point is simple, and it's clear, but it's surrounded in verse 8 by several phrases that need to be clarified in order for us to understand what Paul is saying to the church at Crete and to the church of all places and all times ever since then. So let's tackle this text together. Uh, And by the time we finish, my prayer is that our church will be devoted to to good works for the gospel and glory of Jesus Christ. Titus chapter 3, verse 8. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. That's God's word. Amen. So first, do you see what I mean when I say that there's one very clear point in our sermon text for today? Look there in the middle of verse 8. Do you see it? So that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. Paul wants our church, like the church on the island of Crete in A.D. 50-something, to be careful to devote ourselves to good works. Before we get to that one very clear point, this verse also has three phrases that are not so clear. And we need to kind of sort them out. Number one, the very first phrase, look at it. The saying is trustworthy. What saying? Number two, I want you to insist on these things. What things? Number three, these things are excellent and profitable for people. What things? So we have some saying that's trustworthy. We have some things that Titus is supposed to insist on, and then we have some things that are excellent and profitable for people. So how did you interpret that when you first read it? Now, likely many of you read this yesterday or this morning before you got here, and I have a gold star for you before you leave this morning. If you didn't, when you heard it, when you read it for the first time this morning, and I have a Mr. Yuck sticker for you, when you read that first, what, what did you think that that was? They're a little bit nebulous, so we want to sort these things out before we get going. 
And uh, when we do, I think what we're going to find is that these three phrases really bring a lot of color to what Paul says in his one very clear point. So first, let's start with that first phrase. Look at the beginning of verse 8. The saying is trustworthy. What saying is trustworthy? Well, Paul actually uses this phrase, the saying is trustworthy, worthy, five times in his pastoral epistles. That's the letters to Timothy and to Titus. Five times. This is Paul's way of giving his apostolic stamp of approval to a saying that was likely very familiar to the early church, maybe as a catechism or a confession or a uh, baptismal confession or an early creed. Paul wants to stamp this saying with his apostolic authority. So the saying is either what comes before that phrase, the saying is trustworthy, or what comes after it. So let's start with what comes after it, because I think that that's naturally what you would think. It's in verse 8, so it's got to be whatever's in verse 8. The saying is trustworthy, and then look at what comes after it. Well, I think if you look at what comes after it, no statements that come after it appear to rise to the height of something that is an early creedal confession or something that needs the apostolic stamp of approval. So then let's look at what comes before it. Verse 4 through 7, for example. Yeah. What comes before it? There's lots of sayings there that would definitely rise to the height and qualify as a trustworthy, faithful saying. So what do you think? Do you think it's what comes after it or what comes before it? Well, my natural interpretation, even though it's part of verse 8, is that this particular phrase refers to what Paul just said, what comes before it. Namely, verse 4 through 7 God's work in our salvation. And after I made that particular interpretation and conclusion on my own, then I studied uh, various commentators that I refer to every week, and I was really comforted to know that virtually all conservative commentators agree that the faithful saying is what came before it, not after it. So look at what comes before it that Paul says is a faithful trustworthy saying, verse 4, when the goodness and loving kindness of our God, uh, of, of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through uh, Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy. In other words, what I just said is trustworthy, that God saves us from our former condition because of his goodness, his loving kindness, his grace, and not our works. It's God's work, not our work. 
Number two, the second sort of unclear phrase. Number two, I want you to insist on these things. So look at verse eight. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things. Well, what things does Paul want Titus on Crete to insist on? Is it what comes before it, the saying? Like, you need to insist that it's God who saves people, not yourselves. Well, I think anybody here who's a, you know, a diehard Calvinist or a reform type, you're like, yeah, that's what he's talking about. Sorry, I don't think that's right. What are these things that Titus is to insist on? Well, interestingly, Paul has already used this phrase once as well. Look back at chapter 2 in verse 15. Notice at the end of chapter 2, after Paul lists out how each member of the church is supposed to live out the gospel, he summarizes and points back to these things. Look there in verse 15. Declare these things. Exhort, rebuke, with all authority, let no one disregard you. Chapter 2, Paul encourages Titus to insist on these things. He just doesn't use the word insist. He uses the word declare, exhort, rebuke with all authority. And by the way, don't let anyone despise you or disregard you. So now, after summarizing another section, or pardon me, after articulating another section, 3, 1, down through 7, Paul again pauses to summarize, point back to what he just said before he moves on. So the things that Titus is to insist on are the things that Paul just delineated in chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. Look there. Insist on these things. What things? Chapter 3, verse 1. Remind the church on Crete to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once sinners just like them. But, verse 4, when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. So when here, in verse 8, Paul says, I want you to insist on these things, My best interpretation is, Titus, I want you to insist on these things, namely the things that I just spoke of in verse 1 and 2, that Christians are to be good citizens even under a non-Christian government, and that Christians are to be gracious people to the non-Christians around them. The saying is trustworthy. I want you to insist on these things. Now, the third sort of unclear, nebulous phrase, these things are excellent and profitable for people. Okay, Paul, what things? (laughs) I think most naturally we would take those things to be what? The good works that he just mentioned. So we are to devote ourselves to good works. These things. Good works are 
excellent and profitable for people. Now, given that Paul is summarizing before he moves on, I don't think it's limited just to the good works. I actually think this is Paul's bottom line summarization of all of chapter 2 and then all of chapter 3 because, verse 9, he immediately goes back to chapter 1 and picks up with false teaching and false prophets again. I don't have time to go into all that today. So since it is good works, we're just going to leave it at that. These things, good works, are excellent and profitable for people. So let me give you my paraphrase of verse 8, just for clarity. And you might think, I didn't need it in the first place. Well, then you're better than I am, because when I read the, the, this saying is trustworthy, I'm like, what, what saying? Before, after, these things? Okay, here's, here's my paraphrase. The saying in verse two through seven, uh, pardon me. The saying in verse four through seven is trustworthy. God saved us from our former condition because of His work, not because of our works. And Titus, I, I want you to insist on these things, namely the things that I spoke of in verse one and two, being good citizens under non-Christian government over you, and being gracious people toward the non-Christians around you, so that. So that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things, your good works, are excellent and profitable for people. Well, that that gives us a more colorful, that kind of takes it out of black and white and gives it color. We see what Paul is saying here, don't we? The clear Exhortation is this, Christians, we are to devote ourselves to good works. And in this one verse, Paul gives us the reason, the specifics, the exhortation, and the purpose of our good works. The reason, the specifics, the exhortation, and the purpose of our good works. Those are the four things I want to talk about so that by the time we're done here studying this one verse, we will leave this place devoted to good works. Paul starts with the reason for good works at the beginning of verse 8. What are the reason that the church is to devote itself to good works? Well, good works are grounded in and a response to God's great work of salvation for us. We work because of God's work on our behalf. Do you see how understanding this saying is faithful? helps us to see how Paul lays a foundation for what he's about to say. Church, you need to be devoted to good works, not to earn your way to heaven, not because you merit favor for God, from God, and not even so that you can reward, uh, reward, uh, so that you can earn some type of reward or golden crown. 
But the church is devoted to good works precisely because of God's great work. Both the Father in sending and sacrificing his Son on our behalf and the Son's great work on the cross to purify and redeem us from sin. The so that, look there. So that those who have believed in God may be. The so that says what comes before it is the grounds that sets it up. God's great work is the grounds for our good works. What is God's great work? God gave us a new birth that changes, that makes us clean before him again. God renews us in his image. Through his Holy Spirit. God declares us righteous by grace. And God makes us heirs who have hope in eternal life. Listen, friends. God's great work for us frees us to go out and do good works to represent him here. Not feel the bondage of doing enough work to merit heaven. But now we're freed from serving sin and serving self. We're, we, are, we have a new heart that wants to do good rather than is enslaved by passions and lusts. We're motivated to do the kinds of good works that God has done for us in Goodness, loving kindness, mercy, and grace for others precisely so that we can represent God and image him. We're now made in the image of God and we image him to everyone around us. Good works are grounded in and a response to God's great work to save us. That puts a new spin on it. We don't have to put good works this week. Wash the car, get the grocery, do good works. It's not an obligation. It's a joyful response of worship. What God has done for me frees and motivates me to go work for his glory and others' good. Number two. So that was... The reason, now the specifics of good works. I was particularly helped by this. One of the reoccurring questions that I've had in our study of Titus is, what are good works? Do you know, Titus uses the phrase good ten times in this little letter. Ten times. And he uses the phrase good works Five times. That's a lot. That should jump out at us as one of of Paul's major emphases that he's trying to to, uh, get across to Titus for the church there in Crete and the church here in Winchester. Let's just review. You got your Bibles open? Titus, turn back to chapter 2, verse 7. Look at this. Titus is to be a model of good works. Chapter 2, verse 14, God gave his son to purify a people. See it? 
who are zealous for good works. Chapter 3, verse 1. The church is to be ready for every good work. Our text, 3.8. Those who believe in God are to devote themselves to good works. Chapter 3, verse 14, the last one. Let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. Good works is a major emphasis from Paul to Titus. The question is, what are good works? Well, when we naturally think of good works, I think we think of going somewhere and doing something, doing something good for others, right? So we go to the homeless shelter and we serve soup, or we go on a missions trip and we help build a church. Good works. Now, listen, make no mistake, those are definitely good works. But the phrase, the phrase that Paul uses, I want you to insist on these things so that those who believe in God may, devo- may be careful to devote themselves to good, to good works. I want you to insist on what? So that the church will be devoted to good works. Paul says, I want you to insist on the things that I just said in chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, which, by the way, he never mentioned homeless shelters or mission strips. He, he didn't really talk about building anything. There were no chocolate chip cookies, and there was no mowing grass. Yeah. These things, Paul reaches back to chapter 2. I want you to insist on these things. What things? Well, look at chapter 2, verse 2. Older men who live with godliness and love. Chapter 2, verse 3. Older women who worship God and mentor younger women. Chapter 2, verse 4. Younger women who love their husbands and manage their homes. Chapter 2, verse 6. Younger men who live with self-control. Chapter 2, verse 9. Bond servants who do their work with a godly attitude even in difficult circumstances. When Paul says good works, that's what Paul means. Good works are not things that you go and do. Good works are the attitudes and words and actions that display the gospel within your natural station of life. According to Paul in Titus. Should we go to the homeless shelter? Oh, yeah. Ralph would welcome you to go there. Barbara would love for you to come to to help out at the Laurel Center. These are good works, but don't overlook changing your baby's diaper and doing a faithful job at your workplace. Those are also good works. 
Don't forget that when you hold your tongue from speaking evil about anyone, that's a good work. Don't forget that when you love your wife as Christ loved the church, love your husband as the church submits to her husband, when you X, Y, and Z, attitudes, words, and actions is what Paul means when he says good works. Natural stations in life. You don't have to go anywhere and do anything to be right where God has put you at Shenandoah University or at Hood or Rubbermaid. Your natural station of life. The specifics of good works. Good works are godly attitudes, words, and actions that display the gospel in our natural station of life. Number three. So he gave us the reason. He gave us the specifics. Now he gives us the exhortation. We get to that one very clear point, which I just want to make even more clear. You know, let's press That's my job, right? I can't just make it easy. I have to make it long and hard and laborious and tedious to make you feel like I did some work this week. All right? The exhortation to good works. Now we get to this main saying, those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. Who? Who's supposed to devote themselves to good works? Those who have believed in God. What do you mean when you say God? The God who worked to save you. See how context colors. See how context takes black and white one-dimensional truth and says, oh yeah, that's beautiful. And we don't just believe, right? Like, I believe there's a God. My neighbor believes there's a God, but he hasn't repented of his sin and trusted Christ yet. This is not a head thing. This is trust. Those who have trusted God's work to save you rather than your own work to save you. Those who have trusted God, devote yourselves to good works. Because you've already trusted God. It's secure. You don't have to work for it. God already worked for it. Jesus already said, it is finished on the cross. Now we can just go and do good works. Out of pure joy and freedom and worship. That's who. And those people are to not just devote themselves to good works, but look at the word that comes before it. Those people, according to the middle of verse 8, are to be careful to devote themselves. It would have been enough if he would have said, devote yourselves to good works. I would have gotten it. How about you? But he didn't. The Holy Spirit said, emphasize this. Be careful to. Why? Because there's probably a whole lot of things that will keep you away from devoting yourself to good works. Namely, a lot of other good things get in the way of the best things. And a whole lot of temptation and a whole lot of of, uh, sorry excuses for why we had to do wrong in that situation. Be careful. The word be careful is literally to fix your attention on something. Be careful. 
pay attention to this, fix your mind on something, and then devote yourselves to means this. This is a beautiful phrase, and I got this from from a a commentator named uh, Goodspeed. Make it your business. Those who have believed in God, fix your mind and make it your business to do good works. Now, is that what last week looked like for you? Or were you just in survival mode with the kids or at work? Okay, fine. In survival mode, you're still doing good work by by being faithful. But, you know, we could get up every day and be careful to devote ourselves in our natural stations to living out the gospel through godliness and good works. We could get up at the beginning of our day and fix our attention on our responsibilities and say, today, God, give me your grace and all of the perspective and energy that I need to make today full of good works where I naturally am. I don't have to go and do something else. I can just do it right here in my particular responsibilities in life. Make it your business. John Wesley said, do all the good you can by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all times you can, to all the people you can, as long as you can. How could you make it your business to do good works in your natural sphere of life this week? Number four, which means that's my last point, and I'm only at 30 minutes. We've talked about the reason. Good works are grounded in and in response to God's great work. We talked about the specifics. Good works are attitudes, words, actions that display the gospel within our natural station of life. We talked about the exhortation. Good works are to be the business of the Christian life. Now, the purpose. Why? Why do good works? Isn't God sovereign? Isn't he going to accomplish whatever he's going to accomplish anyway, whether I do good or not? Well, the purpose of good works here. Why do good works? This verse gives us two great answers. Answer one at the very beginning and answer two at the very end. Answer one was because God did the great work to save you. And now answer two at the very end, because good works are excellent and profitable for people. That's why you do good works, because they're excellent and they're profitable for people. Of course, I'm wondering what people, aren't you? Excellent. That's the same word for good. I suppose the ESV didn't put good there because it would sound redundant and silly. Why do we do good works? Because good works are good. It's the same word, though, exactly the same word. 
But excellent is another way of saying good, and it's used throughout the New Testament. Also, this one, beautiful. Same word for be- in different contexts. The same word, the same Greek word is translated beautiful just based on the context. You know, looking at some sunset, you go, oh, that's good. Yeah, it's also beautiful. Okay. And another one that particularly got my attention, praiseworthy. Praiseworthy. Do good because it's praiseworthy. So people can look at you and praise you? No. Do good so that people will praise your God. Because what you just did looks like his image in you. Isn't that what Jesus said? Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and Give glory to your Father who is in heaven, Matthew 5, 16. Christians are to devote ourselves to good works because good works are praiseworthy and profitable. They're useful, they're beneficial, they make a positive difference. By the way, look in verse 9, this is contrasted. He uses excellent and profitable, and then in verse 9, look what he says, unprofitable and worthless, talking about the false teachers and their false doctrine. So here Paul says the reason, the the purpose of good works is because they are excellent and profitable for people. Okay, another nebulous phrase that I sort of ended with here because I didn't want to give it to you earlier. What people? What people? Everyone, right? Whose good work's not profitable and good for? It's everyone. But in this particular context, what people do you think he's talking about? What what sense have you gotten through the whole book of Titus so far where Paul is speaking to the church about people? One another? Sure. But I'm not convinced that That's the purpose for our good works. I am, however, convinced that Paul's emphasis here, grammatically, contextually, when he says people, he's contrasting that with those who believe in God. So who are the people? Those who don't believe in God. In other words, the non-Christians around us the non-Christians over us. People. I agree with Oswald, one of my commentators, who said Paul envisions the Cretan church as an expression in human history of the divine epiphany. In that event, God expressed his kindness and love for people. Through Jesus Christ. But now, those who have trusted in God become channels for this process to continue in the world. We are now God's divine epiphany. We are the appearance of the goodness and loving kindness of God to our kids to our non-Christian children, parents, 
family members, neighbors, co-workers. That's why Jesus said, let your light so shine before the others. Do your good works, not to be seen, but so that God can be seen through you. And Spurgeon said, I wouldn't give much for your religion unless it can be seen. Lamps don't talk, but they do shine. The question is, do we? Well, we will. If we're careful to devote ourselves, to make it our business, to do good works, whether you're the manager at a cabinet company or the manager of two little children and a home. Christians, God has done all the work to save us. Let's go and devote ourselves to good works. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you for the work that you have done to rescue us from our former condition. Thank you so much, Jesus, for the work you did on the cross. And I pray that our lives would display the same gospel, grace, and glory. I pray that you would be on display through us. And I pray that you would use our good works at home, at school, at work, in our neighborhood, that we might hold up the diamond that is the gospel by our lives. What a privilege to be ambassadors for Christ pray that you would receive all the glory, that you would make disciples of people through us. For your glory, for their good, for our joy. Thank you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen.